Now we do welcome all of you who have come tonight. Thank you for coming and for those who are visitors. We're glad to see you especially. Um, we are especially delighted to uh, have amongst us our good brother, Mr. Jonathan Whiteside, uh, the son of the Reverend William Whiteside, who was here at the beginning of the month. And um, his wife and two boys were to be here. Only one of his boys is sick and uh, they were unable to come. So he's come himself and I'm really glad to see him. And uh, he's from our Port of Ogie congregation and uh, he's doing a tremendous work there amongst the young people. And we're especially glad he's here tonight to give a word of testimony. Brother Jonathan, thank you very much. Well, it is a great privilege and blessing to be here tonight. I'd like to thank your minister for his kind invitation, not only to myself, but to my family. The, the youngest, he's a cough, and it's like a bark. And once he starts, there's no stopping it. And I thought it wouldn't just be a good idea to bring him into the meeting tonight. But it is a, a blessing to be here. I'm glad to hear that my uh, father was here a month ago. I got a phone call from the Reverend Abram. And he said, would you come along and give a word of testimony? And I says, oh, well, that's no problem. He says, now your dad served the week before, so you can pick up the pieces that he, he makes a mess of. And I don't know what he meant by that at all, but it is a privilege to be here. I want to leave a, a few verses with you um, before I give my testimony. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you turn to that scripture, I wish for those in the meeting tonight who are not saved, not just to listen to a story tonight. I sat in the Free Presbyterian Church for 20 odd years, letting on to be something that I wasn't. And I sat in church week after week, and I sat with a deaf ear. I didn't listen to what was being said. Can I urge you tonight to listen to God's word? Can I urge you tonight not to think of me or my life story, but how the Lord has saved me? Can I urge you tonight to look to Calvary, to look to what Christ has done for you? I pray indeed at the end of this meeting that you would no longer sit in this meeting tonight with a deaf ear. But indeed that you would give your life to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm reading from the verse 17. Therefore if any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. And all things are of God. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead by ye, reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we pray that the Lord will bless the reading of his word. And that verse 17 that I'd like to apply <coughs> to my testimony tonight. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things 
are become new. Maybe there are those in the meeting tonight that, like myself, we've been brought up through the Free Presbyterian Church. We are the sons and daughters of the Free Presbyterian Church. There's maybe many here who left apostasy and came to this church through the leading of God, but there's also those who are the sons and daughters of the Free Presbyterian Church, those who have been brought up and we're very first in God's word and know the gospel very well. And at times we can let the word salvation or being saved just roll off the tip of our tongues. But we're not really considering the true meaning of those blessed words. We've maybe become very familiar with these words. Can I say tonight that salvation is more than just a word? Salvation was without doubt the greatest blessing known to man. Kind. It's known the biggest, the greatest blessing known to men and women, boys and girls. There's no more important title than having the title tonight of being saved. There's nothing more important in this world tonight. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking about your friends, you're thinking about your work colleagues, you're thinking about so many things. Let me tell you, there's nothing more important in this world tonight. And the salvation of your soul. Salvation is more than uttering a few emotional words. It's more than a profession. And yes, that's part of it. Salvation is more than going to church and having Christian friends. It's more than having a godly mother or a godly father. It's more than living a routine and going through rituals. True salvation it's a heavenly sent miracle. It's when the Spirit of God speaks and grabs a sinner from the road of destruction and hell and sets that sinner upon the rock, which is Christ. It's when the work of the cross becomes personal. It's when the Lord Jesus Christ becomes personal. It's when you look to Calvary and you realize the suffering that the Lord has done for you. Salvation is by putting your faith and trust in Christ as your saviour, as your redeemer. And when you do so, what actually happens is that the Spirit of God comes in and indwells within you. And you literally become a new creature in Christ. You change. I have to say from the outset, and I rejoice in this, salvation is of God, not of man. And because you're a new creature, you therefore have a new love for the things of God. You have a love for God's word. You have a love for prayer and the prayer meetings. I can't work out how people can say that they're saved who don't want to pray. Unless they don't believe in the power of prayer or else they have nothing to pray for. Salvation gives you a love for God's house for worship. Gives you a love for God's service. Gives you a love for the lost. You change. And of course, Christians can grow cold for a period of time, but it'll only be for a period of time. But there needs to be that evidence of grace within your life. There needs to be fruit falling 
of a fashion. How the Lord warns in that great day, many shall say, Lord, Lord. But he shall say, depart from me, I never knew thee. Depart. Are you saved? Are you a new creature in Christ? Can you say with full assurance, I am a child of God? Thirteen years ago, I became a new creature in Christ. Amen. As the writing said, my father is a minister in the Free Presbyterian Church. He's now a retired minister. He was ministering in Bambridge. I have three brothers. My mother only had boys. So I'm sure you can imagine that house at times. I have two boys and they're a handful. I can't imagine another two on top of them. And at times with being boys in the house, the house could have been a wee bit hectic or chaotic. We maybe used to fight a bit. And we always used to hate those words, wait till your father gets home. And when my mother got across, we sort of laughed. But when she said those words, wait till your father gets home, we used to tremble. And there's many times we got into bother. Uh, I remember one time we were traveling through, we lived in Canada for a while, and we're traveling through the Rocky Mountains, actually British Columbia. And we're traveling through British Columbia, and my dad had a station wagon. A station wagon's a, I don't know if you know what that means, but it's a big car. So it is. And uh, <coughs> we're traveling through these mountains, and there's nothing about it at all. And we got into this, just as we petrol station appeared, so my dad pulled over. And he said, does anybody, if any of these boys need to go to the toilet, say no. So I was sitting in the back in the boot in this wee seat. And some of my brothers, when I, I never said anything, when they got out, I thought, oh, well, well, I will go. So I went into the toilet and I came out and the car was gone. And I went into the man and I said, did you see my family? And I was only maybe seven years old at the time, eight years old. And the man said, sit in the curb. And I remember he gave me a bottle of Coke, a glass bottle of Coke. He says, they'll be back in a minute. They've just forgot about you. <laughs> so, 10 minutes passed, half an hour passed, no sign of my parents. What actually had happened was my brothers realized that I wasn't in the car. And my dad says, everybody in? They all shouted, yes, laughing. And they drove up the road. And it was only after so many miles that they decided to tell my dad that I wasn't in the back of the car. And to this day, to this day, I always hold it against my dad. And when he's crossing me, I said, Dad, remember the time you left me in the petrol station? And I always get, a, always get away with it. That can just give you an idea of some of the things that uh, we used to get up to. But you know, I heard the gospel from a child. I was brought up through the youth fellowship. Actually, George is here tonight. George used to take youth fellowship. And he used to teach us the gospel faithfully through Sunday school, family worship. Um, my dad used to do family worship every night after tea. And he used to make us sing the doxology after the, the family worship. And we cannot sing. We're no chanters. And my mates used to know this in the street when we lived in Balagan. And they used to look through the window and laugh at us, me, sing, me singing the doxology. But, you know, I heard the gospel I was indoctrinated. I was surrounded by it. And that is the greatest blessing, the greatest privilege any young person can have. Maybe there's a young person here tonight and you're sitting here going, I don't want to be here. I prefer to be somewhere else. I prefer to having a bit of fun somewhere else. Let me tell you something, young person. 
God has blessed you. That's right. The fact that you're sitting in a gospel meeting tonight. That's right. And be thankful for it. Mm-hmm. When we had just moved from Canada to Ballygown, one night we're coming home from the Ballygown church and we were still living in Lurgan. The man's was getting sorted out and we're living with an aunt in Ballygown. And me and my brothers were fighting, as usual, in the back seat of the car. And my dad said a number of times, don't make me pull this car over. But I remember getting into my aunt's house that night. And my father was upstairs and I walked upstairs. And out of the blue, I said to my dad, Dad, I'd like to get saved. My dad says, right, okay. And he spoke to me. And I remember getting down the side of my bed with my father. And I made a childhood profession. Now before I go on, I believe in childhood professions and I thank God that he saves the little children. And I have two young boys and they've made a profession and I hang on to that dearly. But you know, there's no change in my life from that profession. Nothing had changed. When I look to scripture, scripture tells me that you do change. And I hadn't changed. Even at that young age of nine, I had a very foul mouth. I remember playing football in the park in Ballygown and the language even at that age that would have came out of my mouth was disgraceful. I went to school in Cumber High. High people say school days are the best age of your life when they look back. Well, I'm sorry, I disagree with that. I did not enjoy anything about school whatsoever. And it wasn't long before I was at school that people realized that I was a minister's son. And I didn't like that. I didn't want people thinking that I was a goody two-shoes. And I'm going to tell you something. Pray for our minister's children. If the devil's going to attack, be sure it's going to be at the homes of our ministers. Pray for them. And I remember going into school, and it wasn't long before they found out I was a minister's son, and I was out to prove a point. I was going to show people that I was as bad as anybody else, if not worse. I, I had a friend that went to Saintfield High and I went to Cumber. We used to meet in Ballygown Square uh, every morning. And every now and again we would have sipped up our coats so the, the bus driver wouldn't see the tie. And we used to jump on the Belfast bus instead of the Cumber bus and the Saintfield bus. And we used to jump off at the Castlereagh Road and there was a snooker hole there called the QE1. And we spent many a day playing snooker, mitching off school and... Uh, and we played snooker and then sometimes we would have walked down into the city centre and we would have sunbathed depending on the weather in front of uh, the city hall. Now, if you know my father, don't be repeating any of this to him because um, I don't want him to still know it. I still give me a clip around the ear. But, you know, throughout school, I wanted to be known as a bad boy. I knew the gospel. I never once told any of my friends that they needed Jesus Christ as their saviour. I had one friend in particular and I sat with him in every class. Very close friend. Lovely fella. And at the age of 18, Jeff was killed in a car accident and I never once told him that I needed Christ 
And young people, maybe you're sitting here. It's a bit of a joke to you. Everything's a bit of a joke. You don't know what's around that next corner. You don't know what you'll face tomorrow. I left school when I was 16 and I went to Short Brothers. And at this stage I was surrounded by church friends. We had just moved from Ballygown to Balmbridge. I was surrounded by church friends and church life. And I remember starting Short Brothers and the tech days became a, a bit of a shock to me because everybody in the day release in Belfast Tech were during the afternoon they would have been taking drugs even at their tech day and they would have been smoking different things and in the afternoon you'd actually see half the class was what they called stoned off their head. The teacher actually used to make fun of it and joke about it and drugs in those days were taking grip of the youth of this country. At that time I was even going out with a Christian girl but I was living a double life. I had my life in church. I had my life in the youth fellowship. I had a Christian girlfriend. But in work I was a different person. In work I had a foul mouth. I would have played cards. I would have gambled. I was just a different person. But yet if anybody would have said to me are you saved? I would have said yes and I would have pulled out that childhood profession and said well when I was nine years old I made a profession. But you know I was living a lie. My life was a lie. And let me tell you <coughs> that is a dangerous position to be in. Do you know why? You can end up fooling yourself into hell. That's right. There was one man in the factory at that time and Every time I used to walk past him, he'd be singing hymns and smiling. He used to annoy me. He used to annoy me because no matter how many times I walked past him, he would have been singing hymns or witnessing the people. And I knew straight away that he was a free Presbyterian and I was going to avoid him at all costs. I did not want him finding out who I was or who my father was. I didn't want to be found out my double life. And I avoided him at all costs. But one day I was working at the bench in shorts uh, in the big factory and next thing I looked up and there's this wee man standing looking over the bench he says you Jonathan Whiteside I was close to telling him a lie I was close to saying no I'm not Jonathan Whiteside I don't know who told you that but his name was Sammy Beatty Sammy is the carcass session of our portfolio church and Sammy wasn't fooled about me at all he knew exactly what I was like he could see through me and the amount of times Sam used to come around and say, Johnny, I was praying for you last night. The amount of times where he used to preach the gospel to me out of love. Remember, he was leaving and he was a shop steward and he was so well respected within the factory. And remember, he was leaving and we all chipped in a pound to buy him a clock. And he says it broke the first day, he says it was cheap dirt. But... I paid a pound, and I know about three other hundred men paid a pound, so it was a dear clock. But I remember him standing there, and we presented the clock to him. And there in that factory, hundreds of men. Sammy stood up on a wee platform, and he says, Gentlemen, before I leave, I want to present the gospel to you. And he lifted up his Bible, and he started to preach Christ in that factory. And I remember then, even as a big lump of a lad turning my back and walking away from him, the tears rolling down my face. 
convicted of what he said. My life took a dramatic change in my early 20s, not for the good. I was playing football on a Tuesday and Thursday night with a bunch of fellas. And one Tuesday night, it said to me, Johnny, would you go to the coach with us tomorrow night? And it said, look, we'll just go over us. You don't have to drink. We'll just go out with us for a bit of laugh. And so I give in. And I sneaked into the coach in Bambridge. Then it wasn't long before they said to me, Johnny, would you go to Kelly's with us in Port Rush on Saturday night? And so I went up with them on the Saturday night to Kelly's. And remember, sitting in the back seat of the car, and I was sitting with all fellas, and the fella to my right <coughs> pulled out a bag of drugs. And it was a big bag of ecstasy tablets. And he said, Johnny, will you take one? And I says, no, definitely not. I've no interest in that. I'm not going to take one. But he kept at me and kept at me. And he actually broke it in half. And it's just a wee half tablet. And he says, Johnny, what harm can it do you? So I took it foolishly. And so my life started to spiral in a downwards way. Drugs started to take a grip of my life. Drink, alcohol started to take a, started to take a grip of my life. My life was in a mess. <coughs> I remember being on night shift in shorts. And I remember sitting in the toilet with the come downs of the drugs crying my eyes out. Here's a free Presbyterian minister's son. He went through you fellas. I'm sure George remembers me as a wee boy. Gripped with drink and drugs. Young person, the devil will take you further than you want to go. And he took me further than I was ever willing to go. Not only did I get involved in drinks and drugs... But the group that I was running about with was, well, you just didn't want to be with them. And they're involved in everything. And I remember one night, I think it was New Year's Eve, and we went up to Kelly's nightclub and went in. And I could hardly touch my nose, but a strange thing happened to me. I was on the dance floor and there was that many people in it. You actually were nearly lifting off the floor of people dancing on these drugs. And I remember standing there and it was, the place was packed, the music was so loud. But out of the blue, I started to think of John 3 and 16. I don't know what happened or what, what made me think of that first. But out of the blue, I started to think of John 3 and 16. And I started to think of God's, for God so loved Johnny Whiteside. That he gave his only begotten son for Johnny Whiteside. If Johnny Whiteside would only believe in him, that he would not perish, but Johnny Whiteside would have everlasting life. And I sobered up immediately. I remember saying to my mates, I want to get home, and I'm feeling well, I want to get out of here. And so we went home early, and I thank the Lord that I never entered Kelly's nightclub after that night.
Amen. But I was still involved with a group that I shouldn't be involved with. And I, I had to get away from them. They weren't the type of fellows that you just walk away, away from, from so easily. And I wanted to get away from them. So I decided to go contracting uh, in England in the aviation business. And I just wanted to get away from the whole scene and start afresh. Of course, I was looking to myself. I wasn't looking to the Lord who I should have been looking to. And just before I was going to go, a friend of mine said, Would you go to the Easter convention with me on a Friday night? Now, I had stopped going to church. I was making all excuses to my parents, telling them lies. I was staying at friends' houses. And they didn't know the life that I was living. And I kept it very away from them. I, I never brought trouble home to my father's door. But I kept that whole scene, that whole life away from them. And, but I'd stopped going to church. And my friend says, look, before you go, we just come to the Easter convention with me on the Friday night. So I agreed, I agreed to go with him. And I went to the Easter convention with him. And lo and behold, I met a girl. That's where you always seem to meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I met a girl and I, I got her number and I phoned her up. And she says, look, come on down and pick me up and we'll, sure, we'll go out. So I drove down and she was from Porto Vogue. Now you can imagine what my face was like when I knocked at the door. And that wee man from short Sammy Beatty answered the door. <laughs> I thought I got the wrong house and I never twigged and never put it together. Lo and behold, her, the Lee's father was Sammy Beatty. And he's standing with a big walking stick. And he says, right, my lad, in here I want a word with you. <laughs> and he sat me down and he was joking. And he, he uh, just had a chat with me, so he did. And he always showed me great love. I thank God for godly men in my life. Amen. Amen. Anyway, we started to go out with Lee. And... I had a, I stayed at Lee's house on a Saturday night, so I did. I, uh, the distance between Portavogie and Bond Bridge was about 60 miles. So Sammy says, look Johnny, you can stay at our house on a Saturday night. You can sleep in the living room under one condition. You go with me to church. He says, that's all I'm asking. We'll make your dinner. Surely even wash your clothes for you for the next day. She'll make you a packed lunch, but you must go to church with me. On a Sunday and sit beside me. And I said, right. Sounds like a day to summer. I thought it's only an hour in the morning, an hour at night. No problem. And so I was under the sound of the gospel once again. God's grace. God's mercy. Working in my life. Thank you, Lord. So I started still kept out going out with Lee. And we got engaged. And we decided to get married. And of course we had to go and ask Mr. Goods. Mr. Goods was the minister at the time. Now, Mr. Goose doesn't hold back on what he thinks. And I'll let you know exactly what he thinks. So we went around to see him on the Sunday afternoon. And we went into the house. And, he's, and we sat, he sat us down. Mrs. Goose came in, oh so polite and nice, and gives a cup of juice. And we sat down there. And Mr. Goose goes, right, why he's here? He says, well, look, we, we want to get married. We want to know if you'd marry us. And he says, right, okay, I have to ask you a few questions first before I agree to do so. And he looked me straight in the eyes and he says, Johnny, if you were to die right now where you are in that seat, where would you be? And immediately in my mind, I said, hell. 
And that is a scary reality. Dear friend, if you were to die in the state that you're in tonight, young person, if you were to die now, where would you be? He asked Lee the same question and both of us gave the same answer. We once again pulled out that childhood profession and he wasn't fooled by it. And he just looked me straight in the eyes and he said, <coughs> By their fruits ye shall know them. I came under great conviction after that meeting. I got to the stage where I used to wreck about in the cars. I had a wee rental 5 GT Turbo at the time. Most of you don't even remember what that is. The younger ones, I had a wee rental 5 GT Turbo and I thought I was Jack the Lad. And the speed that I used to go in that car. But you know, see after that day... I wouldn't drive anywhere without a seatbelt. I was terrified of dying. I remember putting my head upon the pillow at night with my heart pounding, praying, Lord, don't take me tonight. I'm not ready. I remember driving and the amount of times me and Lee were talking, if we had an accident, we would die and go to hell. And I was under so much conviction Easter 2000, Mr. Goods was away and Reverend Harton came and preached that Sunday night. And he spoke on procrastination, that is putting off what you can do now to another time. And as he finished his meeting, he reached over the pulpit and it was as if there was nobody else in the meeting. And he pointed and he says, young man, what if there's no tomorrow for you. I trembled. I trembled. We got in the car and we're driving up to Lee's house on a Sunday night. Our whole family would have gathered together and the have supper. There was maybe 20 or 30 people in the house every Sunday night. And we drove up to Sammy's house. And out of the blue, Lee said to me, Johnny, I'm getting saved. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what was here. I wasn't even thinking of Lee. And even in my rebellious nature, my stubbornness, I turned around and said, well, that's all well-being. But if you get saved, I'm not marrying you. What a thing to say mm -hmm. to someone. And that's the grip of sin had in me. We got into the house and Lee looked at me and she says, that's your decision. Mm -hmm. But I need Christ. Amen. She got into the house and she seen her dad and she says, I want to speak to you. And they went up to her room. And I remember sitting in the living room that night. And it was a strange thing because usually the house was buzzing. Usually you'd hardly get a seat. But as I sat in that living room, I sat by myself. They must have seen it in my face. And I sat there. And the burden of sin that weighed down upon my shoulder, I couldn't describe. And then I looked to the cross. I looked to Christ. I remember getting up, walking down the hall, and Lee came out. She says, Johnny, I've got saved. And Sammy looked at me and says, what about you, Johnny? I says, leave me. I know what I have to do. And I remember getting into that room and getting on to my knees and just simply praying and asking Jesus Christ into my life. Amen.
Thanks a lot. And it changed me. I became a new creature in Christ. You know something? That was the best night's sleep that I ever got. Yeah. I remember I got up the next day and I wasn't afraid of dying. If I'm being honest, I was thinking about heaven and what it's going to be like. And the angels and seeing the Lord and I was excited. I remember walking into work and one of the things that held me back for so long was telling people that I was a Christian. Pride. And I walked into the factory and I walked up to the biggest mouthpiece in the factory and I said to him, I got saved. And he laughs. He says, what? He says, I became a Christian last night and he done exactly what I thought he'd do. He went and told everybody else for me. <laughs> and those big men from the Shankill Road came up to me and they shook my hand and they said, Johnny, well done, hardened men. Good on you. Good on you. You know, the Lord's changed me. I have a love for the place of prayer. I have a love for God's house. I have a love for service. Don't get me wrong. I fall. I sin. But I'm different. And I'm going to glory. I'm born again. And I'm saved. Hallelujah. What about you? What about you? The Lord's blessed me amongst, gave me a work amongst the young people. With this, I finish. And we started doing outreach at um, the community hall in Porto Bogue. And at the end of that outreach, we play football and we do games with them. There's usually kids off the street. And the end of that night, we bring a five minute word, five minutes. And I presented the word that night. There was a big fella sitting in the front. And he was six foot tall at least, if not more. And five minutes, I presented the word. And after it, he said, can I have a word with you outside? And I honestly thought he was going to knock my block off. I thought he was angry with me what I said. So we went outside. I brought somebody with me. And he says, you told me that I'm going to hell. And I says, no, Scott. God's word tells me that you're going to hell unless you're saved. He says, you told me that I need Jesus Christ in my life and that I am a sinner. I says, God's word tells me that you're a sinner. He says, you told me that I must repent of my sin and ask Christ into my heart. And I says, God, I rejoice I don't tell you that. God's word tells me. That you need to repent of your sin and ask Christ into your heart. And he says, show me how to become a Christian. Five minutes. He didn't belong to any church. Didn't have godly parents. Didn't have a saved family. Wasn't brought through Sunday school. Five minutes. Young person. How many times have you heard the gospel? I spoke to our young people two Sunday nights ago on John chapter 20 and the verses 25 to 30 and I spoke on the Lord's word on the cross it is finished. And as I was studying that portion in God's word I thought about the Lord going to the cross and I thought about the people that was there on that day. And as the Lord was making his way through to Calvary, 
The people that scorned and mocked him. And I can just see young people shaking their head at the Lord. I can just see mothers shielding their children in disgust from the Lord. I can see the soldiers mocking and railing the Lord. But you know, I came to this conclusion. The majority of them didn't recognise the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Their hell will be horrific. Their judgment will be horrific. But how much more would it worse will it be for you? You see, you do recognise Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You do recognise that he died for your sin. But you're saying, no, I don't want your sacrifice. That is a terrible, dangerous thing to do. And I fear for you. But you know, it is finished. Means that there's a work done for you. Christ died for you. He shed his blood for you. And you can get saved tonight. And you can become a new creature in Christ. And all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him. And repent of him. Or repent of your sin. And ask him into your heart. That's how simple it is. My question to you tonight as I close. Will you not come to Christ. And become a new creature in Christ. thank Jonathan very much for that tremendous testimony and for sharing those few words uh, for us let's just unite together in a wee word of prayer and then we'll seek to maybe share a few thoughts and just close our service I'm not actually going to preach the sermon I had in mind Lord we do thank thee again in Jesus name for the word of testimony we've heard we bless thee for the gracious dealings in Jonathan's life and we thank thee, Lord, he stood here tonight now and given a very clear and personal word of testimony. And we thank thee for that time when he called upon thee. For thou hast said, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we just look to thee to continue to bless him and the work that he's doing in Port of Ogay. And we pray that you'll use his testimony not only here, but elsewhere that he shares it. And, O oh God, that young people, men and women alike, would know what it is to have a clear-cut testimony to thy saving and keeping power. Lord, just answer prayer tonight for our church as we seek to close our service. Draw near and bless us. Do us good in our heart, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me just leave a question with you. Think of what has already been shared. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And I just want you to ask yourself, What's new in my life? Have you got new life? Remember Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. See, Johnny made reference to Coach and Banbridge and Kelly's and Portrush. And I can remember being in a similar situation to him many, many years before. 
And you know, I used to think that those young people had life, whether it was the drug scene or the drink scene or sexual fulfillment outside of marriage. I, I used to think that those young people had life. And they appear, of course, to be enjoying themselves and getting a kick <coughs> and a buzz. But I want to tell you, that's not real life. That's what the Bible calls the pleasures of sin. And there is pleasure in sin, but it doesn't last. But the life that Jesus Christ has is life to the full. It's an abundant life here and now. It's a life of inner satisfaction, a life of joy, a life where you have the knowledge that you have peace with God. And even in times of trouble and deepest need, you can know the peace of God which passeth all understanding. So you look at your own life. Have you got new life? Are you a new creature in Christ? Or perhaps, as he has mentioned, you're just one of the pretenders. You've made an outward profession, maybe even a childhood profession, but it doesn't mean anything. There has been no change in your life. Now, where do we explain that for a little moment? Because not only does a Christian have new life in Christ, And, of course, as we said this morning, when a baby is born, the first thing the baby does is cry. And the baby cries wanting to be fed. And that baby, as it feeds, begins to grow and to develop and mature. And that has true physically, but it's also got an application spiritually. You see, when you've got new life in Christ, you've also got a new love. You've got a love for the Lord. You've got a love for the Lord's day. You want to be in the house of God, not because mum and dad pushes you out the door or not because you feel, well, I'll be scolded if I don't go. As Dr. Lindsay Wilson stood here, he said that he used to go to church to please his parents. And then when the Lord dealt with him, he went to please the Lord. He went out of a love for Christ. And whether it's the Lord's day or the Lord's word or the prayer meeting or a study of the scriptures or a witness for Christ or saying no to sin, That's all part of that new love. The old things have gone and it's been replaced with a new love. And we can all examine our hearts. Yes, we bemoan that we're not what we ought to be. We thank God for we're not what we once were. But at least when we look into our heart, like challenged um, the words of Jesus to Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And what was Peter's response? He said, ah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And for everyone that's got new life in Christ, if the Lord was to come and say, do you love me? The answer would be, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Oh, yes, it's weak and feeble. We don't love him as much as we should. I don't think we realize just how much we ought to love him and the debt that we owe to him. But there is a spark there. There is a love for him. Now, is that true of you? As we look into God's word, is that true of you? And one other thing, just to close the alliteration, there's a new loyalty. You see, the Bible says sin will not have dominion over you. In other words, sin will no longer control and run your life. You're you're now born of the Spirit, and you want to live and walk in the Spirit. You want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. You want to know something of the gift of the Spirit. And because the Spirit of God dwells within you, You've got a loyalty to Christ. Now, is that true of you? Only you can ask those things. Only you can answer 
Have you got new life? Do you have a new love for Christ? And you see, that new love will be seen. And others will notice it. Attendance at the prayer meeting. Reading the Bible. Being out at church on the Lord's Day. You'll not want to miss. You'll want to be here. And there'll be no other reason for you want to be here. Certainly not be to come just to listen to me rant and rave. Or anyone else. It'll be out of love for Christ. Get a word from God. Presenting yourself before the Lord. And it'll tie into your loyalty to him. Remember. One day we'll stand before him. Reference has been made as we close to those words. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Imagine standing on that final day when the destiny of the destiny of every one of us will be revealed and the doom of every one is finally sealed. We're standing before the Lord to give an account and the Lord is asking you, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? How privileged you were in Northern Ireland to hear the preaching of the gospel and have Christ presented to you. Remember Pilate's words, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And what have you done with Christ? And then think of that last day when you stand before him. What will Jesus do with you? Just ask that. What will Jesus do with me if I haven't got new life in him? If I don't have a new love for him, implanted by the grace and spirit of God, if I have no loyalty to him, will we not hear words? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Those are the saddest, saddest words that anyone could ever hear. This is real. We live in light of eternity. We've got to be ready to meet the Lord. Ready to stand before him. I'm not going to preach our text. Our time is gone. But remember what we read tonight. I just want you to think of the verse 20. The question was asked by the men of Beth Shemesh. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? 50,070 men of Beth Shemesh were slaughtered. And they asked the question, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Only those that have got a new life. Only those that have got a new love for him implanted by the Spirit of God. Only those that are loyal to him. Doing the will of God from the heart. Is that true of you? May the Lord bless these few words. I hadn't meant to say that, but I trust the Lord will bless those few words to your heart.